Next on PIJN News, Dr. Chaps reports on these important issues. With the Israeli conflict, now anti-Semitism is on the rise in America. We interview lawyer Elliot Fladen, who uh, has experience in protesting for Israel, and he has a lot to say. Former Navy Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt took a stand to defend religious freedom by daring to pray publicly in Jesus' name. Now he helps you by reporting the news, discerning the spirits, and praying the scriptures. Would you pray with us? Here's Dr. Chaps. God bless you in Jesus' name. My name is Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt, Dr. Chaps, and you're watching PIJN News. On this show, we like to do three things. We report the news, we discern the spirits, and we pray the scriptures in Jesus' name. On today's show, we're talking about Israel and anti-Semitism or Jew hatred, to be candid, is on the rise here in America. And I wanna bring in a resident expert and a longtime friend, Elliot Fladen, is an attorney practicing in Colorado. Welcome to the show via Skype, Elliot Fladen. How are you today, sir? Doing great, thanks for having me on the show, Gordon. Thank you, Elliot. Um, you and I have been um, on both sides of many issues, longtime friend in the political scene. Uh, to be candid, you're a friend of Jared Polis, which I'm obviously the, the opposite of Jared Polis here in Colorado. So, so we go back and forth. Um, you are not necessarily conservative, but you, you have described yourself as more libertarian. And of course, being a, a person who is descended from a Jewish background, you have strong opinions about Israel and anti-Semitism. Uh, that's, that's my introduction. Would you introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, my name's Elliot. Uh, Gordon, I think, summed it up right. We've gone back and forth on a few issues. Sometimes we agree, sometimes we disagree. Uh, for this issue here, where we're talking about Israel, uh, my family, my brothers, who I really don't talk to any much these days, but they are ultra-Orthodox Haredi Jews. That's uh, the people you would see in the stereotypical Jewish outfits, the headgear, the payas, which are the sideburns that come down, things that hang out their shirt, which are called, I think, the tzitzim. But uh, my, my own wife is lapsed Catholic, and so my family has gone a different route. But I am intimately familiar with uh, anti-Semitism and what is going on in Israel. Actually, it just came out uh, yesterday that the Sunday school that I used to get forced to attend by my mom growing up, that that building uh, was targeted for a mass shooting and they've arrested a 13-year-old kid that planned it out. And I found out shortly after that, within a few hours, that a synagogue down the street from my, where my mom lives in Boynton Beach, Florida, actually had a bomb threat called in. So in two days, in one day, we I received notice of two separate uh, anti-Semitic plans or threats that had targeted uh, synagogues or places of worship that I or my family have connections to. So you grew up in a synagogue, but you're a, a non-practicing uh, person of Jewish descent. You're, you're, you're not particularly religious, uh, but you, you have a different take on what anti-Semitism means. Uh, I love the God of the Bible. I, I fear the God of Abraham, right? And I love the Jewish people because the New Testament commands Christians to be humble and to love the Jewish people. Uh, but you are not particularly religious. What is anti-Semitism to you? Having a different heightened standard for Jews than you have for other people. Or looking at Jews first 
as the cause of a problem without adequately considering whether there's something else that is responsible. Interesting, so uh, can you take us through some of the history of that? Uh, like, where did it all start? Oh God, uh, <laughs> it's, if you wanna go, it's predated Christianity. Anti-Semitism is a long-standing thing that has been documented in history. I think, it, it really got going at the, when the Jews revolted against the Roman Empire, you know, around the time of Christ. Uh, they waged, they, they had their land taken from the Romans and the Romans had them under their imperial boots and the Jews waged two very large scale wars for independence. Uh, and before you would say that the Jews had no chance, they had previously, maybe about 150 years earlier, 200 years, I don't have the exact time frame. They had overthrown uh, a successor state to Alexander the Great, which was thought to be impossible. So they, there was this belief they could have pulled it off and they maybe, maybe came close to pulling it off twice. But there's an old saying, if you strike at the king, you better not miss. The Jewish people struck at the king, which was the Roman emperor, the Roman empire twice, and they missed. And needless to say, the Romans were not too particularly happy with that. And what you see today, what you see today with people using the, the term Palestine to refer to the land of Israel, that comes from Rome renaming the land to insult the Jewish people. And I think after after those failed revolts, anti-Semitism really took off in the lands that were the former, that were used to be the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire named the land Palestine as a slur, like like Israel's enemies at the time were the Philistines. So the Romans kind of you know, morphed that into Palestine as an insult to the Jewish people. But in 1948, when they reassembled and they uh, were, were granted independence either by the British or by partition or, or popular vote or however they reassembled, they chose the name Israel again, because that is more historic to the Bible. The reference, of course, Abraham had Isaac and had Jacob and Jacob was renamed Israel, who was the father of the 12 tribes. That's my understanding with one small proviso. Uh, you said that the Philistines were the enemy of the Jews at the time. The Philistines disappeared from the scene about 600 years before all this happened. They, you know, the Babylonian conquest, I think it was around 500 or 530 BC. That's when the Philistines, you know, as far as I know, were not referred, the last time they were referred to. So it's not that the Romans were renaming the land after the Jewish people's current enemy around 136 uh, AD or so, when they had had their unsuccessful second unsuccessful revolt, they were naming it after a long gone historical enemy. So that's, I just right. wanted to have that clarification because when we're talking history of this land and the cultural appropriation of certain Arabs of the term uh, Palestine, which refers to the Philistines, there's not a clear reference, a clear relationship between the Arabs of today and the Philistines of the Bible, other than the fact that they along with maybe half of half the rest of humanity maybe have been descended to them in an attenuated fashion. Yeah, sure, so if the Philistines had disappeared off the map hundreds of years before Muhammad, for mm -hmm. example, uh, you know, Islam sort of started after the year 600, uh, and then today the, the Palestinian Arabs have absolutely no connection to the historical Philistines, although today they call themselves Palestinians and they want this new, new government of Palestine. Let's take a short break. When we come back, how is anti-Semitism now impacting America? 
This is PIJN News, defending your religious freedom. Dr. Chaps will be right back. I'm Dr. Chaps. We want you to sign a petition today to stand with Israel. They are under such attack with Arabs and Muslims killing Jews, but here is the Bible territory that God promised to the Israeli and Jewish people. Even in 1993, in the Oslo Accords, Yasser Arafat agreed, these are the current borders of Israel and it's their land. Let's sign that petition, PrayInJesusName.org. Again, PrayInJesusName.org, sign it today. I'm Dr. Chaps. You know, Jesus taught the parable about sowing the seed and you don't want it wasted. You want it to grow with 30, 60, 100 fold for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you three mission areas that we're doing here at Pray In Jesus Name. I think our charity does more with less than any other charity I know. We are fertile seed. For example, number one, we pray in millions of television homes every day or every weekend on eight networks. We have 2.5 billion home TV impressions every month. The second area, we feed orphans and children in some of the poorest slums overseas. We're building a new vocational school, we're digging wells, and we're serving the poor when you give to pray in Jesus' name. Number three, we defend religious freedom, especially for our troops and our chaplains. We've now helped send five million petitions to Congress. We've helped change bad laws or policies in 13 states and four times in federal law. You know my story as a former Navy chaplain, standing up for the right to pray in Jesus' name and defending religious freedom. Would you donate today? In fact, we want you to come up monthly pledge sponsor. When you visit PrayInJesusName.org, on the right side, click the monthly pledge sponsor button at PrayInJesusName.org. Your monthly gift will help change the world in Jesus' name. Defending your religious freedom, here is Dr. Chaps. Welcome back, I'm Dr. Chaps, joined again by Elliot Flayton, an attorney from Colorado who's talking about anti-Semitism. Elliot, um, you kind of brought us up to the history up, up until 1948. What has happened since then that is now impacting, and of course we skipped over World War II, right? Do you wanna get into why the Nazis hated Jews? I think you, we want to go back a little before 48 when you're talking about anti-Semitism with the current thing with the Israel's independence. Uh, Jews started coming back to the land around the 1880s from exile. There had always been Jews that had been there since the Romans exiled them, but large numbers started returning. And when they came back to the land, uh, they paid above market prices to buy land off, off Arabs who had colonized it in the interim. Uh, the Arabs got upset about this in the 1920s and launched a series of revolts about against the Jewish presence. And they actually ethnically cleansed one of the holiest cities in Judaism, Hebron, uh, where the Cave of the Patriarchs is. Uh, and in 1929, there was a big, it was, it was called Hebron Massacre. You can look it up on Wikipedia. And when this, 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 the Jews ended up starting to defend themselves with organizations such as the Haganah getting formed, which became the precursor to the modern IDF. And so given this back and forth violence between which started with the Arabs revolting against Jews being merely present in the land and buying land voluntarily, uh, and Jews ultimately defending themselves, took a, a took a major escalation after the Holocaust, when Jews learned that simply putting their head down and mind their own business was no uh, no key to safety, and six million Jews off a population, I think about 18 million, vanished from the map. 
So I think it was like one third of Jewry, if I remember correctly. And so Jews got their independence in 48. And there's been several wars started since then. First was in 48, five separate Arab nations, Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and Iraq, if I remember correctly, uh, all launched an invasion of the newly formed state of Israel. Israel won. They became the successor to the British mandate with to this land. But even though they won, uh, two parts of the land, which become very crucial in the current conflict, the West Bank in Jordan and the Gaza Strip in Egypt, were, easy, were illegally annexed by those two countries. Those land strips have been part of the British mandate. Egypt and Jordan had no right to them, uh, but those countries annexed them illegally. Israel then reconquered this land, took it back, which was rightfully theirs in 67. Uh, and since that point in time, there's been several, uh, there's been another war, which was the 73 Yom Kippur War, and a ongoing revolt uh, that goes on and off, we call it the first, second intifada of Arabs who were living in Gaza in the West Bank, uh, desiring to not only overthrow Israeli rule, but to eventually take control of the land from the river to the sea. That, that phrase, intifada, is being bantied by protesters today, and it, th that's a term that refers to genocide, to killing the Jews. Um, you're saying there's a historic context in the 70s when that was actually attempted. Uh, the first intifada, I think, was in the 80s, if I remember correctly. I, I don't have the exact date uh, from by memory, but there was a first and a second intifada. Uh, I think if they had the first intifada, then they had a peace process to try to, you know, create a second state out of the land of Israel for uh, the Arabs who did not want to be part of it in the West Bank uh, and possibly Gaza. And when that, when those negotiations failed, a second intifada was began, which involved significant suicide bombings and attacks on civilians, uh, Arab suicide bombings against Jews. Uh, now, is this a genocide? It depends upon what you mean by genocide. I mean, I, I think there's a tendency to define the term genocide down. Uh, there's several major genocides in history. You have the Armenian genocide, the Rwanda genocide, you have the Holocaust, these, you know, large numbers of people being killed. Uh, currently today, there is this effort to term anything that involves killing people a genocide, but under no definition of the term is that genocide. Genocide requires two things. One is, is that you kill a substantial number of the people uh, that's present, and two, you're killing them with the specific intent because they're part of a group or nation, because you're trying to reduce that nation's numbers. So you can have you can have a war. A lot of people will die in a war, but the goal of the war is not necessarily to wipe out the people. It might just be to take the Crimean Peninsula. It might be to take Alsace and Lorraine. It could be to take any piece of territory. So even if you have a bunch of people that die, that's bad. That's nothing to be celebrated, but that's not genocide. If you have something like what happened to the Armenians, the Rwandans, or the Jews in the Holocaust, that's a genocide. So, so then the question let's turns- Let's talk about that term because it came up in the recent congressional hearings when um, the, the president of Pennsylvania University, which is an Ivy League school, Elizabeth McGill was, was testifying before Congress about the protest on Penn by these students calling for genocide. Let's roll that tape. Does M at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment, yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? 
calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated of, as harassment if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment, yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So there you saw the president of Penn fumbling the answer and she had to resign. She was actually defending the chanters who were calling for genocide and, and mass killing of Jews uh, and you can't do that and be an Ivy League president. Your comment. I, I think it's important to recognize why from the river to the sea is, is a champ for genocide. Because on its face, it just sounds to be a champ for national liberation. But you understand the context, what a substantial number of the people chanting this, not all, because there's plenty of kids that maybe took some survey class in college who have no idea what they're talking about when they chant. But what a large number of the people chanting are calling for is for the expulsion and murder of the Jews from, I think it's the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, which is the entire land of Israel. So that's gonna be the murder of a substantial, well, large portion of a population because they are a population. So that meet with the specific intent that they that, kill them for that reason. So that meets the criteria of being genocide. So yeah. to the extent you have an Ivy League president that is calling that is that is defending the the intentional murder of people for just being part of a people. You have a question of what is her defense for doing that? If her defense for doing that is because I don't think anyone would say that the Ivy League really wants this. They hide behind though free speech. They say, hey, we're in we're universities, we're you know beacons of knowledge. We tend to tolerate people speaking their mind and speaking truth. But then you have to ask yourself next, is that really the case? Because if you're truly an organization that, that that's for free speech, okay, fine, we can tolerate a bunch of things we don't like. But in the last 20 or 30 years, universities haven't exactly been places of free discussion or pe where people can just exchange ideas. If you're at Harvard or you know MIT or Penn, and what happens if you use a non-preferred pronoun for somebody? Or what would happen if you, not to say that this should be celebrated, I quite the contrary. What happens if someone burned a cross on a, on a university campus? Horrible thing, they would get kicked off immediately in spite of free speech concerns. Yeah, or using so the, the N word or, or things. There, exactly. there are lines uh, culturally that should not be encouraged. Let's take a short break. Uh, more with Elliot Flayden right after this.
I'm excited to announce that we're having our biggest Christmas sale ever. You get our brand new six-piece My Towels for only $29.98 or rejuvenate your bed with a MyPillow mattress topper as low as $99.99. Or how about MyPillow bed sheets for as low as $24.98? There's something for everyone. Duvets, quilts, down comforters, body pillows, bolster pillows, and so much more. Well, I know my pillow products make for the perfect Christmas gifts, so I'm going to extend my money-back guarantee until March 1st, 2024. So go to MyPillow.com now or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code to get huge discounts on all my pillow products. For example, you get our six-piece towels for only $29.98 or get your very own MyPillow bed sheets for as low as $24.98. It's our biggest Christmas sale ever. Get all your shopping done now while quantities last. Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The My Pillow guy. And you're looking good. Still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever. My Pillow 2.0. The best sleep just got even better. Whether you have a My Pillow or not, you need to get the brand new My Pillow 2.0. Call or go to mypillow.com now. Use your promo code and for a limited time when you buy one, you'll get a second one absolutely free. Stay tuned for the end of our show to learn how to partner with this ministry. Here's Dr. Chaps. Welcome back, I'm Dr. Chaps. Uh, Elliot, there are broad categorizations of unacceptable speech. Uh, not that it's illegal because a court might say people have a First Amendment right to say stupid things. But culturally, we draw the line on employment, right? We're not gonna hire Liz McGill as the president of Penn University if she says X, Y, Z, or defends people who say X, Y, Z. What are some of the, and I'm, I'm unintelligent about this, I wanna know, what are some of the things Christians should never say about Jewish people? I mean, I, I think it gets to the question of, people can say what they wanna say, okay? If the question is what you should never say or what is offensive, those are separate things. So what is Christian offensive wants to, say, to your sensibilities? So I, to my sensibility is very little. To, what is, to what's offensive to, to a lot of people who are of Jewish background, I think suggesting that the, that the people, the Jewish people today, for example, may have killed Jesus, that is, uh, they're responsible for Jesus' death, I think that is a very sore point, that the Jews have space lasers or in secret control of the world. Uh, I think uh, there was a, Congress, a congresswoman who suggested that recently. That is uh, deeply offensive and inaccurate to boot, uh, along with the other one. Uh, suggesting that the Jews, uh, I think in the context of someone who's liberal, suggesting that the Jews are part of some overall white majority, uh, which uh, is an oppressor majority, is very offensive, I think, in light of what happened in the Holocaust. It's not like the Jews could have just gone to Hitler and said, oops, you're making a big mistake. We're all part of you. Uh, he would have laughed at them and sent more to the gas chambers. So, but I, I think overall, the basic idea here is is that Jewish people are the same as Christian people. There's same blood, same nose, same fingers, two eyes, same teeth. There's there's no the people, and the idea here is that you hold Jewish people to the same standards, give them the same benefit of the doubt on almost anything that you would give any other person. Just don't treat or look at Jewish people differently than you would look at some other person just because the religion is different. 
So the same thing with, with racism. We don't cast aspersions on people of minority skin color with a broad brush, right? We ought to, as Martin Luther King said, judge each person individually on the merits of their character, not on their race. Is, is anti-Semitism, like, is, is hatred of Jews a religious question or is it a racist question? It can be both. Look at it this way. I don't believe in the Torah. I don't celebrate Jewish holidays. Hitler would still gas me if he could. So he wouldn't be gassing me because of any sort of religious belief I have. He'd be gassing me because of my ethnicity, his idea of my race. Now, for sure, Judaism can also be a race. Some people are both religiously and ethnically Jewish. But just because some people may be religiously and ethnically Jewish doesn't mean that everybody who is targeted by anti-Semites are both those. Many people targeted by anti-Semites are targeted simply for being of Jewish descent. So in that sense, Judaism can be racist. Anti, Anti-Semitism can be racism. So Elliot, what do you mean when you compare uh, anti-Semitism to like free, in the free speech realm with, with burning crosses on somebody's lawn? Okay, to be 100% clear, burning a cross is totally despicable. It's completely offensive uh, to African-Americans. It is hate. But if you're going to allow hate against Jews when, you know, at a university, when they're calling for genociding all the Jewish people, but you're not going to allow hate on a different group, such as burning crosses, you're having a double standard of what you're permitting based upon what group the targeted people are. So if you're going to have free speech, allow free speech, even if it's offensive, even if it's despicable. But if you're going to say that what's offensive to one group is allowed, namely calling for genocide of Jews, and what's offensive to another group, burning a cross or donning KKK groups is not allowed. Your policies and your procedures and who you're choosing to protect, those are anti-Semitic. Well, we're almost out of time, but I do wanna say, uh, I love you as a brother. Uh, you know, we don't see it eye to eye all the time, but I support Israel, I love the Jewish people, and I condemn anti-Semitism. I just wanna put that out there. Um, <clears throat> Elliot, we have just one minute left. What do you want our audience to do? I think what I want the audience to do here is to recognize that Jewish people are no different than people of any other faith or ethnicity. They're just people. So to the extent you see Jewish people or Jewish places of worship being targeted by bomb threats, by threats of mass shooting, even if you don't agree with Judaism, even if you think it's wrong because you believe that Jesus is your savior, doesn't mean that you can't speak up and stand for those who have different beliefs. Because that is the decent human, and from my understanding of Christianity, should be the Christian thing to do as well. Amen to that. Uh, we like to conclude our, uh, our show with prayer, if you would permit me. Uh, Father in heaven, I ask That's your fine. blessing on Israel, and specifically we pray for the peace of Jerusalem as King David uh, uh, encourages us to do in Psalm 122. God, give people a reason to lay down their hatred and embrace love as the standard. I pray this blessing on Elliot and uh, all Jewish people in Jesus' name, amen. Our guest Thank has been Elliot Flayden. Our website is PrayInJesusName.org. Please sign a petition to support Israel today. We've already sent a half million petitions. Add your name at PrayInJesusName.org. And if you need prayer, call us at 866-Obey-God. We'll see you next time.
Dr. Chaps needs your financial support to stay on the air. Would you please send your best financial donation today? Please visit PrayInJesusName.org to donate online. Or you can mail a check to Pray In Jesus Name Ministries, Post Office Box 77077, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80970. You can also call us toll free right now, 866-Obey-God. That's 866-O-B-E-Y-G-O-D. Please sign up for our free emails at PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org.